live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho. Duro, Parlay, Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you after the show as well. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join the conversation on our social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page, along with the T Public Store link, which there's a sale going on this week, Pad. Oh, boy. Best time to go buy some merch. We always tell you, wait till the sales come on, and then that is the time you go all in supporting the ODPH because it truly means the world to see all those Parlay Club shirts out there in the wild. It's awesome to see. Also, on the website, you can check out the Patreon link, which one tier, $2, and a lot of content on the way. I have something lined up for November I haven't mentioned yet, mm. so definitely stay tuned for that. And the Parlay Club coasters are going out in the mail next week. So be on the lookout for that if you're part of the patrons. If you're not, well, I mean, right there, you can go sign up. It's that simple. Parlay Points block section, always something going on there as well. The classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, organizational link support in Black Lives Matter, voter registration. So much is going on there. I tell you what, you just have to go click it to see for yourself. The directory, which, Pad, how many providers are we on? Uh, 112,000. Sounds about right to me, and I'm not going to go fact check that. That does sound like it's accurate. For anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media, use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, though, there was a program that made its debut on Disney+. Plus. Uh-huh. Kind of flew under the radar a little bit. A little bit. But it's still very noteworthy because there's a lot that was going on with this that I think have implications for something else coming down the road. Uh-huh. And no, we're not talking about anything MCU. Nope. We're talking something Star Wars, but we're not mentioning Andor. Uh-huh. Gotta catch up on that. Not gonna be to kind of peel back behind the curtain, so to speak. I am behind on it because I kind of tuned out a little bit. But Pad, you've been watching religiously. Yeah, you're saying I need to jump back in. No, yeah, it like the first couple episodes were not great, but it, it has since gotten a lot better, and oh. it, it has been fantastic and phenomenal TV. Yeah, I gotta catch up on it. So I will be doing that this week because we were, we we're gonna try getting back into the Andor swing of things for next week. But we definitely wanted to talk about the Star Wars show that came out. That caught my eye, Pad, obviously being the Star Wars aficionado of 6 and 7 podcasts, he definitely was talking about this. And Pad, what show was that? Uh, This is the series of short stories, I guess you could say, or short uh, TV episodes uh, titled Tales of the Jedi uh, from the Star Wars animation folks over at Lucasfilm. Of course, Dave Filoni wrote almost all of these episodes. There's only one episode he didn't write. Uh, But this is from Dave Filoni and essentially the Clone Wars, Rebels, Rebels. a bad batch crew of animation. So you know it's going to be top notch. Yes. And obviously, with these characters that were involved in this, mm-hmm. I feel it's going to play into some live action coming up. Could be. And I think they kind of gave a little temp in the room, so to speak, with the show. 
So that being said, we are going to go into a discussion about the show. Now, if you're tuning into the ODPH for the first time, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. We do appreciate it. Drop a follow and five-star review. We always do appreciate that. What we like to do is give you a spoiler-free statement about the program so we don't ruin anything for you if you haven't seen the show yet. But if you have seen it, we give you a countdown, and then we go to deep dive and spoilers. So you're fair warned. Mm -hmm. We can't make it any easier for you. You're not going to have anything ruined by us by our on our end. On yours, listen, we can only do so much. So that being said, Pad, I want your spoiler-free statement on Tales of the Jedi. This is a phenomenal series. And listen, it's another amazing show from Dave Filoni. Is it required viewing that every Star Wars fan go watch it? Drop what you're doing, go watch it. Not necessarily. If you're a Star Wars fan, I would say definitely check this out. If you're a casual Star Wars fan, I would give it a consideration. And, and even if you've just seen the movies, you haven't seen any of, of Clone Wars, I would still give this a consideration because there are some stuff in here, especially with, with uh, some aspects, because it the series f- uh, focuses primarily on two characters, uh, that being Count Dooku mm-hmm. and the other one being Ahsoka. Uh, you know, but there's some stuff in this that expands on some interesting plot points and maybe some holes, you could say, uh, from the films overall. So it's phenomenal stuff. It's it's amazing, and I really want to rewatch it again. I have to agree. I was very impressed with this show. More than I thought it was going to be, because obviously it's Star Wars animation. Not saying it's bad, but unless you're a very big member of the fandom, mm-hmm. sometimes it just doesn't connect. Like, the movies are there, the Disney Plus shows are there, the live action, but sometimes the animation is just like if you're into it more than others. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really hit as much if you're just into the pop culture vibe of things. Yeah. That being said, I kind of lean more towards that end. Sure. But I do like the animation when I do catch it. This definitely impressed me. Mm -hmm. I filled in some gaps of a couple things that I did not know about. Sure. And like I said, I think this is going to lead into something when we see it in live action in just a few months. So... Definitely worth the watch, depending on what your fandom is. But even if you're a casual Star Wars fan, this is going to be up your alley, I feel. Mm -hmm. That being said, it's spoiler talk time in three, two, one. Pad, what did you really think? I thought this show was incredible from start to finish. You know, I'm obviously a big fan of Dave Filoni and his work. I have been singing his praises since the first episode of The Clone Wars came out. He is one of, if not the best, storyteller that Lucasfilm has today. And and I think it shows. You know, this series does a lot filling in the holes, especially with Ahsoka. Because, admittedly, outside of what they showed in Clone Wars, which is only a brief mention, we didn't really know all that much about Ahsoka. You know, in, in terms of pre- Clone Wars, you know, and and even with Count Dooku, it's kind of hit or miss what you know. I know there's the one book series that kind of delves into it a little bit, but it's one specific aspect. It's not really some of the larger aspects you would think about, you know. So the fact that they delved into both characters was phenomenal and amazing. I really thought they spent a big emphasis on Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. And I think they did that because with the live action show coming out with Rosario Dawson in the lead. Yeah. I think they really want to get a temp in the room from the fan base of how that's going to go over in live action. Because it's one thing if you're on the Mandalorian sure. and, and Boba Fett shows. Sure. You're going to have that crowd pop, like we refer to it in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Like when you see it, and obviously that was a big moment when it happened. Oh, yeah. And she's been great on those shows. But obviously doing a live action show, you really want to know, okay, is it going to hang over if it's not live action? And even animation, you can kind of test the waters a little bit. I thought they nailed it. Mm-hmm. I really did because I think this answered a little more for background 
how she's connected into what's going on in the Jedi mythos. Mm-hmm. And plus, really focusing on Count Doku. Now, I'm not sure exactly where they're going to go from there, mm-hmm. but I thought it was a very cool backstory that kind of gave a little more emphasis and layers to what happened in yeah. the Clone Wars or Clone Saga and Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing is, you know, will it lead to anything down the road for Count Dooku? Well, unfortunately, no, because both the character and the actor, Christopher Lee, who portrayed him, are dead. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think what it does is prior to Clone Wars, you know, or not Clone Wars, uh, Attack of the Clones. We really, Thank you, yes. You know, we really didn't know a whole lot about Dooku. He was never mentioned in, in the Phantom Menace, even in the novelization, you know, he's ne- he's never mentioned, you know, and even in the stuff since attack of the clones has come out in the old Canon and the new Canon outside of like the one book they did in the new Canon, there's never really that much mentioned, you know, about his family. It's mm-hmm. just, it, it was always just that, Hey, he was a Jedi. He had his issues with the Jedi. He decided to force, uh, forsake his duties and his responsibilities, and he went home to his planet and became the count or head of the head of the planet. You know, so the fact that they delved into some of that, and especially some of his ideas and, and kind of where his head was at, I loved because he's such a complex character. He's such you know a unique character. Because while he, he was working with the bad side, you almost got this feeling with him throughout it that like he might not have fully been. On that side, he's just using it as a means to an end. And I think this show, you know, emphasized that. Yeah, I definitely have to agree. And I think that there's some room to go for more animation down the road. Like, I think this, this was also opening the door for saying, for saying, okay, well, if we really want to go and do another one and show a different Jedi, mm-hmm. we can do this. Yeah. And I think it will go over. And I think the fan base has been very pleased with this. Yeah. And obviously, for being six episodes, too. It's a very short watch. Oh, yeah. None of them are longer than maybe 20 minutes. Yeah. And I think there wasn't really a bad episode in this. No. I think each one had its moments they really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Because, like, for episode one entitled Life and Death, it was all about Ahsoka as a child. Yeah. It shows, you know, well, it doesn't show, but, you know, you see the moment she's born and, and she, you know, fast forward a year. And uh, her mother is taking her on some sort of pilgrimage thing that it's like an annual thing you do with newborns, Mm -hmm. you know, and then a a crisis ensues where the mother's hunting this animal in the woods on on their home planet, you know, and this predatory animal, you know, kidnaps Ahsoka and it launches the entire village into this rescue mission because, hey, it's a one year old kid. Yeah. So it's kind of a very cool story. And it shows about when the animal kidnaps Ahsoka, mm-hmm. how she uses her Jedi powers yeah. to subdue the situation. Yeah. And then once she returns to the village, everybody kind of figures out, oh, there's something special with her. Oh, oh she, uh, I think even the village elder even says, oh, she's Jedi. Yeah. So it's a very cool short episode, but it does explain a lot about like why she has the Jedi force with her. Yeah. Did it kind of put it mildly. But then we go to episode two entitled Justice, mm-hmm. and this goes right into Master Doku. Mm-hmm. And who is his Padawan? Uh, the one, the only, Qui-Gon Jinn. Yes, from The Phantom Menace. Yep. Who definitely is still haunting the Star Wars universe here. Oh, yeah. And this is kind of a very cool story because they're sent on a search and res- rescue mission mm-hmm. because the senator's son is missing. Yep. But once they get to that planet, though, mm-hmm. things are not what it seems. No, not at all. Because they quick, they're sent there. They're like, "Hey, we got to find this senator, this senator's son," you know. Um, and and they they quickly realize that like they're being kind of stonewalled. Nobody really wants to tell them what's going on. But then they find out, you know, the senator is starving and abusing his people, 
which led the people to going, all right, you want to screw us over? We'll screw you over. You know, and then the senator shows up like, oh, thank God you you saved my son. You know, I'm so grateful for you, which leads the Dooku to turn around and go, listen, motherfucker, you're going to quit what you're doing or else. Yeah, he's like and the senator's like, well, no, you answer to the to this uh, Galactic Senate. I'm a member of the Galactic Senate and you have to do what I say. And Dooku goes, nah. And he basically wants to fight him. And even Qui-Gon, who's like, uh, I'm not sure about this. Yeah, no, this definitely had th- a throwback to me mm-hmm. for the story of when Steve Rogers was fired as Captain America. Kind of. I know it's a different parallel. I know I'm crossing universes. Deal with it, folks. You know what we call it? Reasons. Reasons. But it still resonates the same way that the Jedis there are supposed to be representing the people. Mm-hmm. They're not re- representing the Senate. Yep. No matter how much the Senate wants to try making them do it. Mm-hmm. And when you see Doku stand up, I was like, you know what? He's right. Yeah. But the Senate, well, we, we don't argue with them. No, no, no. We're just the mindless foot soldiers. Mm-hmm. And when Doku steps up and, and uses his powers, not for bad necessarily. No, but it, it is dark side powers, though. It is dark side powers, which is it's such a fine line to walk. Oh, it is. In the Star Wars universe. I love seeing it because I was like, okay. Well, he's doing the right thing, but what is the right thing mm-hmm. according to the Jedi's? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a loophole here. Yeah. And I'm here for this kind of chaos. Oh, yeah. But it's a very cool episode, and it kind of starts peeling back the layers of where Doku gets corrupted. Yeah, because that's the thing. Again, you know, we don't see him until Attack of the Clones when he's already a part of, you know, the dark side Insidious. But it shows that, like, hey, even as far back as this, you know, because it doesn't tell. We don't find out how far in the past this was. We just know that, you know, it was far enough that Qui-Gon was still his Padawan. But even back then, Dooku still had this darkness in him that, like, he still he still had that ability to go there. Yeah, no, he definitely did. And I apologize for forgetting about Attack of the Clones name, but I try blocking that movie out. That's all right. As much as I can. Understandable. I mean, uh, there's there's just so much wrong with that movie. I'm just not we even going to We did it. get Yoda fighting for the first time, though. Yeah, I mean, that was the only redeeming factor, but that can only do so much because, uh, ugh. Let's get to a happier topic, which is episode four. Episode in, three. Episode three, entitled Choices. Yeah, which, I mean, that kind of titles into everything as well with what's going on with Doku because he's mm-hmm. been passed over now because he's too hardcore yep. in the eyes of the Jedi to be mm-hmm. on the High Council. Yep. And they give it to Mace Windu. Yep. And it's obviously this is going off of when they are investigating a Jedi murder. Yep. And it's... Yeah, Jedi murder. And uh, because at this point, Qui-Gon has elevated to at least Jedi Knight. He's no longer a Padawan. Uh, so Dooku is without a Padawan. So they send him and Mace Windu, which, gotta admit, Two formidable swordsmen, so if you're sending somebody out for a possible issue, two good ones you can send, I'm not going to lie. Well, if somebody killed a Jedi, I mean, it makes perfect sense to yeah. do that, because yeah. if you're taking out somebody that's allegedly on that level, oh yeah, yeah, you're not going to send in rookies. No. Like You're, you're not going to go send a minor league JSA to go fight Black Adam. You could try. You can try, but you, obviously you see how that turns out. So the Jedis were smart about this, and as they go to investigate, well, they find out that it's the senator's own security that's mm-hmm. doing this because they're trying to force the senator to change their ways. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting play, yeah. but once again, Doku's pushed to the edge. Yep, and rightfully so. Like, and you can see where he's teetering. But one thing I love that the series has done, mm-hmm. it gave him a sense of like empathy. Like, you can understand yeah. what what's going on with yeah. him. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not sympathetic, but like I can see where he's coming I can, from. I can understand him, yeah. Yeah, like I get this. So now when I go and think about the movie, I go, okay, I get this. Mm-hmm. 
And I can understand why, because he's been sitting here trying to be the the classic Jedi doing the right thing, but sometimes you got to get your hands dirty. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not exactly an easy job to be a Jedi, especially uh-huh. with all the factors going in. And I understand, well, that's why, you know, you have certain Jedi, you know, the hierarchy and all that jazz. But still, it's like if he's doing the right thing, the Jedi should show some leniency. Mm-hmm. But they don't because, well, they're them. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then we get to episode four. Oh, boy. And, Pad, you want to take this one? So this episode is entitled The Sith Lord. Uh, this one takes concurrently with the events of uh, episode one, The Phantom Menace, because at the start of the episode, we find out that Qui-Gon Jinn is back from Tatooine, uh, informing the High Council that of his uh, battle with Darth Maul on the planet of Tatooine. Uh, and so Dooku finds out about this. He goes, hey, I heard what happened on Tatooine. You know, what happened? Dooku t- or uh, Qui-Gon tells him, you know, and so Dooku warns Qui-Gon, hey, listen, you know, it's good that you told him this, but they're not going to take you seriously after this. Yeah. And so then it flashes forward a little bit, and uh, we're in the kind of seedier part of Coruscant where a certain robed figure is showing Dooku a little bit of holographic footage of what happened on Naboo, uh, and that is Darth Maul killing Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's Darth Sidious, a.k.a. Palpatine, showing Dooku, uh, you know, this this footage. And we find out that Dooku has been collaborating with Sidious, you know, because he doesn't agree with what's going on. He, he wants to make the galaxy a better place. Uh, but this is soon quickly discovered by Jedi Master Yaddle, uh, who is a character that does appear in the movies, only appears in Phantom Menace. Uh, was voiced in this uh, series by the wonderful Bryce Dallas Howard mm. uh, for this episode. And Yaddle discovers, hey, uh, that's somebody evil. Uh, why are you working with them? Uh, and then Dooku then gets into a fight with Yaddle and kills Yaddle. Yeah, well, he's got to cover his tracks. Yeah, got to cover his tracks. So this explains why we never see Yaddle again after the first uh, episode one Phantom Menace. Yeah, I loved how they did this. Because literally, you see y- Yaddle, if you go back and watch Phantom Menace, a couple of the scenes in the Jedi High Council, you do see Yaddle on the High Council. You mm-hmm. know, she's sitting there, but you never see her again after that movie. And never guessed why. Well, I never thought of why. Well, now we know. No, it's perfectly laid out. I thought they did a really good job explaining this. And especially it shows when Doku is officially like, I'm done working with the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Like, listen, I've tried doing everything the right way, and this is not working. So he's seduced by the power of the dark side, which, listen, it happens. Yeah. And you know what? It plays out perfectly. And especially with how Yaddle is, you know, trying to reason with them. Even the final moments where they're fighting on an aircraft carrier or a hangar, it looks yeah, like. Yeah. And the door is shutting on Yaddle, and she's using the her force power to try mm-hmm. keeping it open. And he's just like, nope, we're just nah, we're stuff. done. Yeah, I mean, it just how it's played out like that, I thought it was just a perfect way to show how he fully went all into the dark side. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm curious to see if they're going to try doing something else down the road. Maybe. In Tales of the Jedi with him. Maybe. And seeing like, okay, what happens here and there, and it's just like, well, yeah, because even from Phantom uh, Menace to Attack the Clones, it's like a ten-year period, right? So there's still room you can do some stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think there would be a really cool play to do something. Like, sure. does, it, does it have to be a long thing? It could be just two episodes, but still, I want to see more of that. And that's me coming as from the pop culture casual yeah. fan standpoint. Yeah, I think there's so much room there that I'm like, okay. I'm really entrenched with what's going on here. I mean, but this is something Dave Filoni does. If anybody's not familiar with his work, like Pat touched upon. He's he's one of, if not the best storyteller they have in Star Wars, and that's because for at least six of the seventh, I can't speak for the seventh season, but for six of the seasons of Clone Wars, 
George Lucas was involved in those series. He was the executive producer on those series. So he was involved in the storytelling and what went on in the episodes and how they should be, how they should look and everything else. So he has literally learned from the feet of the guy who created this whole universe. Yeah. He's definitely gone all in. Like he's probably the closest to a protege. Yeah. Not anything you could find. Yeah. So, and he definitely understands how things tick in this universe. Like he's not somebody that comes in from outside and tries revisioning everything. Yeah. He is like literally play by play with how George would, would set this up mm-hmm. for the most part. I still have questions about the original trilogy, but that's for another podcast. But then we get to the last two episodes of this series. Mm-hmm. And we go back to Ahsoka. Yep. And this is something where she's now trying to train being mm-hmm. a Jedi. Yep. And who is training her? Uh, that is her uh, her uh, master, Anakin Skywalker. Yes. And he is not pulling any punches. No, because, you know, she's there's a battle situ- uh, simulation, you know, she's trying to get through that she's having some issues with. You know, so Anakin goes, all right, listen, you need some help. You know, I'll give you some help. Uh, so he gives her, you know, this exercise program, you know, that's insane, mm-hmm. you know, the, where she has to overcome a series of attacks from a group of clones, you know, where it's been. And it's not them all coming at her in a straight line. It's like, you know, encircled and different this and they're firing different patterns. And, it, you know, they're they're using real battlefield tactics just their guns are set to stun because, well, they don't want to kill her. Right. You know, but she's drilling this and they're showing this, which this. The first part of this episode must have been early in the show because for the first three, maybe three and a half seasons, she only had one lightsaber. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until partway through the series, maybe like late season three or early season four, whatever it was, where she came out with the second lightsaber. But eventually with this training, you do see her come out with the second lightsaber. She's having a little more success with it. Yeah, she definitely is. But this goes to show about how serious they were about the potential she has. Mm -hmm. Because Anakin was not holding anything back. And it turns out... This is what saves her uh-huh. from Order 66 and getting killed. Yeah, so if you remember Order 66 where, you know, Kiati Mundi and, and all the others were, with the exception of Yoda, you know, were basically getting blasted down like without a chance in the world. This is how she was able to survive is because she literally trained for it, you know, unintentionally, mm-hmm. but she literally trained for this. Yeah, no, so this definitely sets up for things down the road, mm-hmm. especially going to the final episode entitled Resolve. Boy, the first part of this episode. Oh, break it down, Pat. Heavy. So this is after, you know, the events of Revenge of the Sith and the last couple episodes of the seventh season of Clone Wars. Uh, but you see uh, it is the funeral of Padme. Yeah. You know, on Naboo. So it's the whole funeral procession, you know, the sad, somber music. But then as the f- procession uh, group, I guess you could say, goes by. The camera stays put, and it keeps zooming in, and it keeps zooming in, and you see a hooded figure that's Ahsoka. Yeah. So Ahsoka was at uh, Padme's funeral, mm-hmm. and she's kind of sneaking through trying to get out of there, but but she's not totally unseen. She does get discovered by uh, Senator Bail Organa, mm-hmm. and he's like, hey, listen, you know, I'm glad you're here, but you really shouldn't be here given the circumstances. And And she's like, I know, I just wanted to pay my respects, and he helps her get out of there. And escape off the planet despite almost getting caught. Yeah. You know, but then she does go off and try to live a semi-quiet life on another planet as a farmer. Doesn't work for long because much like anything else, she does get discovered. Yeah. So she winds up using the force and that kind of tips everything off. And mm-hmm. then somebody in the in the village that she's around tips off the Empire. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and the village is then massacred by an Inquisitor, this being the sixth brother. Uh, he basically showed, gotta say, the mask on this dude. 
Holy fuck. Yo, this was, I would say, one of the best animation scenes they did. Uh, cosplayers. I would like to see this character in cosplay. Like, Facts. ASAP. This uh, this character was awesome. Facts. Holy shit. I can't, I can't agree with you more. I thought mm-hmm. they did such a good job. Because we've only seen the, the Inquisitors briefly. Briefly, yeah. You know, in the Kenobi show. Kenobi series. Uh, first couple seasons of Rebels. Uh, and then the video game Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, but this was the first time I think I was really like, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, Kenobi did a great job too, but yeah. This, but this was like this guy was like, I give no fucks. Yeah, and when he starts ki- just absolutely raging through the village, mm-hmm. like it turns wild. But then Ahsoka steps up and winds up killing him. Yep, and is going full fledged into the Jedi Rebellion. Yeah, because now she can Well, she contacts because uh, Bail Organa before she leaves Naboo. Gives her, you know, a, a homing device or, you know, a transmitter. It's like, hey, if you ever need help, you know, give me a buzz. And so in an effort to get off, the, she needs to get the people who weren't involved in this shit on the farming planet off. She calls him and says, hey, you know, I, I need your help. And he's like, well, I'm glad you didn't lose the transmitter. Yeah. You know, so he does show up to save them. And he's like, she's like, he's like, you know, you ready to finally help? And she pauses and goes, yeah. So that's where it ends right there. And mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect prequel for what they're going to do with Ahsoka. Could be. And I think it's smart because, you know what, you don't have to spend a lot of time doing flashbacks. You don't no. have to spend a lot of time doing No. Like, this is a perfect way to really set that up. And then when you do the live-action series, depending on where you're going to jump in, mm-hmm. you've already hit the ground running. You've already established the character. It, it's smart. If you want maybe an early preview, and I, don't, and I don't really know anything, there was a novel that came out in 2016 by E.K. Johnston uh, titled Ahsoka. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a young adult book, so it's not super long, but some of what was in this episode, and I know some of what they did for Season 7 of Clone Wars, is in that book. Yeah. So if you want kind of maybe like an early preview or an early guess at what things might be like, I uh, definitely recommend picking up that book at your local library or at your local bookstore. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. And I've read it myself. It's a fantastic book. Yeah. But final thoughts on the show, Pat? Fantastic season. You know, when they said, I was already excited for it because, listen, I'm a huge Dave Filoni fan. I'm a huge Star Wars animation fan. So when anytime I can get more Star Wars animation, I am here for it. But then the fact that they said, hey, we're going to do six episodes, you know, three on Dooku, three on Ahsoka. I was like, holy shit, give it to me. I hope they do a second season of this. You know, who they follow. I, you know, I don't care. There's a lot of, there's a lot of possibilities you could do with this. I mean, you could do Luke Skywalker, you know, in, in some of the in-between movie years for the original trilogy. You could do Luke Skywalker after Return of the Jedi because, hey, there's 30 years to play with in there. You know, you could do Ray during those periods. There, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Mace Windu. We know nothing about Mace Windu's past or his history you could do something on mace windu yoda we don't know what their their species is called supposedly george lucas knows but he's never told anybody yeah you know there's a lot of possibilities you could do with this and i think they should absolutely explore this i agree too i think this is something that if you're really going to test the water doing an anthology show this works oh absolutely and i think for the star wars mythos you have a lot of characters that you can play around with and i think that this is somewhere you can definitely deep dive into and like i say for three episodes that's a perfect time length to really just dip the toes in the water so to speak and get the temp in the room like okay are his fans really excited to see this maybe we'll do something live action yeah like that's the perfect way to do it and especially if you want to go back to some of the classic characters that's an easy way to do it as well sam jackson has said he wants to play mace windu again how he doesn't care but he wants to play mace windu again yeah i mean you can always do an animated and i'm sure he'd do the voice for it and obviously Really tear into it. He did do well. So for this series, uh, we should note um, Liam Neeson didn't do the voice of young Qui-Gon, but old adult Qui-Gon, Liam Neeson did provide the voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then 
uh, Mace Windu was not voiced by Samuel L. Jackson. He did do the voice for the Clone Wars film, but for the series, it's been Corey Burton. But if they want to do an animated series and Sam Jackson wants to come back for the animated series, by all means. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the big win that you can have from here. And I think you definitely got to run with that. So, like we say, Pat and I both recommend this show, so make sure to go on Disney Plus and go check it out. Tales of the Jedi, so if you're in the Star Wars, this is right, going to be right up your alley. And then hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about this show after you watch it? Let us know. Who do you want to see get featured in this if they do a Season 2? I think all signs are pointing to Season 2, but we don't know anything officially yeah. yet. But we'll just have to stay tuned. So until then, let's talk about it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, all. I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom. From movies to TV, to video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And we have to recap a show we haven't talked about in a little bit, but it's coming near the end, so we mm-hmm. definitely have to get back on the Walking Dead train, so to speak. Yep. Obviously, season 11 has been a very long, weird road. To say the least. Yep. 24 episodes have been filmed. We're now at episode 21 of yeah. this long road to the end that I, just won't end. I'll say it's, it's insanely long because, folks, if, in case you forgot... Uh, episode one of the season originally aired on August 22nd, 2021. Yep. So it's over a year ago. Because they've been breaking off everything into eight parts. Or mm-hmm. Eight parts for the first half, eight parts for the second, eight yep. parts for the last. So we are finally on the last half where everybody is now at the Commonwealth, where it's too good to be true. There seems to be structure, but much like anything in the Walking Dead universe, it's not as it was seems. No. So they're in this perfect utopia, which kind of reminds you of how modern-day Washington, D.C. was. Mm -hmm. You have the head of the Commonwealth, Pamela, and her son, Sebastian, who is just an outright, you know. Douchebag. Thank you. And Lance Hornsby, who's been pulling the strings behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and trying to cause an uprising. And everybody's playing each other like House of Cards. Pretty much. Which has made it pretty interesting, except when you get our survivors who have gone through everything and anything under the sun, led by the one Daryl Dixon, played by Norman Reedus, and Carol, who has been played by Melissa McBride. They are definitely leading the charge with Jeffrey Dean Morgan's Negan hanging her in the balance, too. So you just still have that trifecta of Walking Dead favorites in the final season because it's been... You know, an interesting mix of characters have taken the lead roles. It, it's and it's had its good moments, but it's also had its bad moments. It's kind of been like a head or mess. Yeah, it definitely has. So it hasn't been a full home run out the gate. No. But going near the final stretch, things are picking up. It appears that they're going to go in a different direction than the ending of the comics, which I'm intrigued to see how they do it for the flagship show. Even though we have to stress there is about four more shows that are coming out as spinoffs after yeah. this is all done. Uh, they even teased one of them during this episode, uh, that being the uh, Maggie and Negan show. Didn't really show much. It was just like a quick couple of glimpse shots and then one of them in the sewers. Uh, and then it gave, I forget what the show is called, but it did give like a title card or a title logo for the series. It's like City in Peril or something, something like that. Something like that, but it, it had like the Statue of Liberty silhouetted head behind it. So we, they are at least filming some of that show, so... We'll yeah, yeah, Lauren Cohen is definitely back for that as Maggie. So it kind of takes away a little bit, in my opinion, from the ending of this show. Because yeah, yeah. when you're seeing all these spinoffs, you know these characters are going to survive. Yeah. And that's something that is not typical Walking Dead. 
Well, and, and, in the early seasons, no. In, in the later half, yes. Well, yeah, because I, we have always tied this back to the episode where Negan kills Abraham and Glenn. Well, it's it's that, and then it's also the season, whichever one it was, where Andrew Lincoln, you know, left as as uh, Rick. That they decided to announce not like the day it aired, but like before the season started. Yeah, that they're like, oh, hey, by the way, at some point this season, Andrew Lincoln's gonna be leaving the show. Yeah, like which. Okay, bad move. You know, I, I get you're trying to drive up ratings. And, well, when is he going to do it? When's he going to do it? When's he going to do it? In that, in today's day and age, people aren't going to do that. They're just going to wait for it to get reacted online. Go, oh, let me go watch it now. You know, it would have been better served if you waited until it. Because I think it would have been done. It would have done better if you'd have just waited until. Because hey, hey, in case you didn't know, they have a whole talk show about the whole freaking mm-hmm. thing. It's not airing right after the show anymore because they've got that other show, uh, interview with a vampire. They're doing. Yep. So it's after interview with the vampire, but you know, AMC, you are devoting an entire hour, hour plus sometimes of discussion about the show to another, on another show on your network. And you have been for God knows how long would have probably been better served if you just did it there. It would have made a lot more sense. I think there's a lot of things with the zombie universe that now that has been really entrenched in AMC television, they haven't hit everything out the park. In my opinion, too many cooks. Yeah, obviously, there's just a lot going on, and especially with this franchise, which is now extending into its next half. Yeah. There's still a fan base that does watch this, so we yeah. have to we have to stress yeah. that. So it's not like it's been the lowest rated show on TV. By I, any I means. will say, you know, I still enjoy it. Do I enjoy it as much as I used to? No, but like, am I, am I regretting my time? You know, watching and going, ah, oh, you know, I got to waste another hour of my life watching the show. No, I'm not there yet. No, it's it's not. But there it has yet. has my enjoyment gone down? Yeah. It's gone down enough that Damien Targaryen is beating Daryl Dixon in my viewing uh, choice on Sunday nights. Yeah, that's understandable. Let's just put it out. I'm sorry. Matt Smith is obviously killing it on House of the Dragon, and obviously that show is wrapped up, so now I can go back watching The Walking Dead. And I have caught up to where we are now, so if you haven't been watching lately, there's like we said, there's only three episodes left after this one, but there's definitely some things happening in Outpost 22, the latest episode that just happened. So, like we do with every breakdown of major pop culture, we give you that spoiler-free statement, and then we go into spoiler details after the countdown. So, that said, Pad, spoiler-free statement on Outpost 22. thought it was a good episode. It's interesting to see, you know, because they were hyping it up as, like, the last four episodes, the last three yeah. episodes, whatever it is. You know, you, you know to, to borrow the line from Doctor Strange, you know, we're in the endgame now, you know, so... It's interesting to watch and see how they're setting things up because you kind of get the feel they're setting some stuff up and they're kind of putting, you know, the train on the certain track it needs to be on to get to that C- series finale. Um, but it, it was a good episode overall. It wasn't the best one, but it was enjoyable. It was all right. I got to admit, I am at this point with the show that this felt like the penultimate episode mm-hmm. in the sense of the final 10 minutes. And when I heard what was going on there, I'm like, all right. Either you're going to really drag out this season finale, mm-hmm. or it's going to be lackluster. That series, that series finale is probably going to be an hour and a half, two hours. Oh, I got to imagine it's going to be two hours. Well, two hours real time, less than two hours TV time. Right. But I, but how they ended up things here, I was like, okay, this is how we're going to end things. All right. It didn't take anything away per se, but I just kind of went through like we've been here before. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing I, I saw. I was like, okay, this has been okay, but I haven't been blown away. And I'm really hoping for something to really go boom, yeah. you know, like mind-blowing. Yeah. Mind 
by the time we get done. The, the wind is blowing on the proverbial house of cards, you know, for this area where they're at. It's just you're kind of waiting for the cards to start falling. Yeah, so we'll definitely have to wait a couple more episodes to really see how the deck shapes up. But for what this was, it serves its purpose, especially coming off last week's episode. Mm-hmm. That being said, in three, two, one, talk to me. Like I said, I thought it was a it was a good episode. It wasn't the best thing I've ever seen. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, but I still enjoyed it. Like I said, it's interesting to see how they're kind of setting things up. You know, this the Commonwealth or whatever the place is called where they're currently at. You know, the the seams on the dam are, are you know starting to leak. You know, you're just kind of waiting for everything to kind of hit the fan and and go to shit. You know, so once that finally happens, that'll be fun to watch. You know, but up until then, it's it's kind of like stat quo. Well, obviously, after Pamela's son gets killed, you knew there was going to be ramifications. Oh, yeah. And Layla Robbins, who's, who's played Pamela, has done a great job. Oh, she's awesome. Yeah, and but she has definitely flipped, and obviously she's taken out her anger on everybody, especially Eugene, who, I mean, let's face it, he has been a, a notable character throughout the entire time of The Walking Dead, and Josh McDermott has definitely played him up mm-hmm. as much as anybody can. And when she's focusing on him, this does take away from a lot of what's going on. And then obviously last week they killed off Lance Hornsby. So Josh Hamilton's gone from the show, which you knew was coming. Mm-hmm. So there was going to be a letdown no matter what, because everything was so driven last week. But when we get to this point in this episode, things are just kind of like, I don't want to say going through the motions. The, well, the new motions, yeah. But they, they kind of are, because you, yeah. see, you see the survivors have managed to break out and everybody's kind of scattered, but they're all getting back together because they've heard about this train mm-hmm. that the Commonwealth is doing to expand their reach throughout the territories. Mm-hmm. And they're using prison prisoners to help get their way. Yep. So it's kind of like this odd thing that, okay, once again, things are not what they seem in this perfect utopia. Nope. And, I mean, we're used to this as Walking Dead fans. Yeah. Because they've, they've been doing this, God, since the governor days. At least, yeah. You know, which... I well, know, and, and the train aspect is unique and different to the TV show. I will give you that, yes. But if you've played the Telltale video game, you know how using a train in the zombie apocalypse works. Not well. No, it doesn't. So when you're seeing the Gabriel and Rosita and Maggie, you know, are eventually going to link up with Daryl and Carol, and everybody's now figuring, okay, well, what's up with this Outpost 22 that Lance, you know, finally coughed up some information on? Mm-hmm. You know, like this is a, an interesting point in the show that now, okay, we're nearing the end game. And then Daryl is, like, really kind of taking things to heart about this. And you're seeing that everybody is kind of having this weird reaction about going to find this train. Yeah. And Maggie is also freaking out, too, because she lost her son. Yeah, Herschel's gone missing. Yeah, so this is going to kind of come back a little later, too. Uh, but they all have, like, their all their ulterior motives going on, too. Mm-hmm. But little do they know that who's been captured at the Commonwealth's uh, demise is Negan. Yeah. And him and Ezekiel are there. And, I mean, it kind of starts off in this weird, you know, format, too. When the show opens up, you see how Maggie and company escape because they're, they're being taken captured. Yep. And they do get free because somebody's, like, shooting through and obviously frees them up. And yeah. that scene was horrific, too. Oh, that was nuts. It was nuts. Like, I want to make sure to clarify, like, Greg Nicotero and the special effects team did not pull any punches here. No. And it definitely had that blood splatter, too, yeah. which has been, like, the new thing with TV. Yeah. So, I mean, and more shows lately than now where the, the blood stain stains on the camera a little bit. We saw with Werewolf by Night for a certain degree. Yep. Same same, same kind of vibe here. Yeah. But as we're seeing, the, the, they're trying to establish, okay, well, what Pamela's trying to do with the Commonwealth is, is super evil. And you're seeing that now 
Negan is now inside trying to be like working his way up the ranks, mm-hmm. doing typical Negan things. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan does this better than anybody. Yeah, well, and pl- I mean, plus we got to remember, too, with the Commonwealth is, you know, you had the bombshell, I guess you could say, of the tape getting played, you know, of, of you know, the the, uh, the son, mm-hmm. you know, basically got secretly recorded and basically was like spilling means like, hey, people think this is a democracy and people think that, you know, all for one, one for all. We're doing this all for them, but we're just doing it for the rich folks. You know, so you've got simultaneously got the heads of the Commonwealth or the the hierarchy of the Commonwealth going, we need to hold this shit together because, hey, we like power. And if this falls apart, we ain't got nothing and they're going to kill us all. And also B, simultaneously, we've got this other crew in there, you know, of this outside crew that we thought was a good and we thought would really help out the the organization and and the uh, community. But they're just tearing it apart from the inside. Uh, Shit. Yeah. So it's kind of a double edged sword, so to speak. Yeah. But it's interesting to see how this all is playing out, especially now that the Commonwealth's true goals have been exposed. And as you see that Negan is having to work with Ezekiel, and I this did not hit me right away. I did not realize that they have not seen each other in quite some time. No, I, I didn't realize that either until I was uh, watching the episode. I'm like, oh, you know what? They, it's been a while. Yeah, like they make that reference. And I'm like, you know what? They're right. They haven't been around. I mean, obviously since the fall of Negan's forces. Yeah. You know, when they were doing the different territories, like it's just a really weird thing to, to think about. And Kari Payton, you know, played it perfectly well as Ezekiel as just saying, you know, when you, when you were running everything, we, you know, we always had respect for each other. But now you've, you know, now you're here and what you've done and you expect me to be fun, like friends with you. Yeah, that's, like, a, that's asking a lot. It's asking a lot, but it's smart. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It, it's a little detail. Then everybody has forgotten about some spots don't wash off. Well, that's the whole thing too, especially with Negan, who they've tried reforming into, and I know I'm going to catch heat online for this, an anti-hero. <laughs> you know, it, it's one of those things that, like, no, he should be evil. He should be like, we don't need to redeem him. Like, I'm sorry, like, I, there is no redeeming him yeah, in my you, opinion. You can't, like, I'm sorry, you killed off Glenn yeah. and Abraham, yeah, viciously among many others. Yeah, and yet you expect everything to be like, hey, you know, like my bad. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. But, and, and I like how Ezekiel was like, no, I know what you did. No. Yeah. And Negan is basically saying, like, listen, you might hate me. And you have every right to. Because, well, I'm I'm pretty much a piece of shit. It's like Voldemort asking Harry for forgiveness despite everything he's done to Harry. Yeah. Like, dude, are you fucking serious? Yeah. But he's like, we're both going to die if we don't work together. Yeah. Like, listen, I hate your guts and I want to fucking kill you, but, like. We gotta put that aside. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh huh. And this plays out perfectly too, because they wind up trying to do a revolt. And when this happens, though, well, attempt A does not work so well. <laughs> People try running, and they are gunned down immediately. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. So that was kind of a wild situation going on too. And you see that the our heroes, so to speak, are still making their way to the train mm-hmm. that is going to Outpost 22. But meanwhile, though, Pat, I want to ask your opinion about this, too. Sure. We did see that Maggie came across a child walker. Yeah. Was that who I thought it was? Was it Herschel? Yeah. No. No. See, she she just reacted because I think the kid was about the same age that Herschel is. And I think that was just her, that was just her like, projecting... Herschel onto the kid. I, I don't think it was Herschel or else that they would have made a much bigger deal about it. See, I was like, I couldn't tell. I'll be honest. With I, you. I thought the same thing at first and I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but when they kind of just, it happened and then they moved on and they didn't bring it up again for the rest of the episode. 
I was like, all right, it wasn't him. Because if it was Herschel, they would have made a much bigger deal about it. Yeah, because at one point you see Maggie is 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 putting down mm-hmm. a child zombie. Yeah. Walking Dead universe, folks. Pad, what is it? Reasons. Reasons. So this is kind of normal. And she starts crying, but she's like holding the child. And I'm going, yo, if this is Herschel, mm-hmm. like, okay. This should be yeah. more of a dramatic scene. Right. And I, I do agree. With, we have to remember, too, at this point, Carol is in zero Fs given. Oh, yeah. This is, this is Terminus Carol. So she's like, yeah, you know, it's still stuff you had to do that. But, you know, things happen. Like, I'm just going. Terminus Carol is full full tilt. Yeah. yeah. So when that persona is in, like, I don't expect Melissa McBride to be consoling anybody. No. It's just like, okay, let's get into business. Yeah. Because you see, like, Lori uh, Cohen there. Lauren Cohen, I'm sorry, excuse me, is crying during yeah. the scene. I'm going like, did she just kill her kid? Like, well, no, I, th- I think what it was is it was her worst fear realized. Yeah. Okay. That you, makes more sense. You know, where it's the one thing she's afraid of. She's got this kid who Lord knows how old this kid is. He's young, mm-hmm. but like he doesn't fully understand how to fight and defend himself quite yet. He will someday, you know, but he doesn't understand how to fight and defend himself. You're out there looking for him. Lord knows who the hell's got him or what their intentions are. Yeah. Could use him for a bargaining chip. Could use him as bait for the walkers to save their own skins. But she comes up on him, and from a distance, it's like, well, shit, that's about the right size, and that's about the right hair, uh, haircut. You yeah. know, well, holy shit. You know, so I think that's what it was, is that was just her seeing her worst fears real. Because I don't think outside of the little girl in episode one, season one, I don't think we've seen too many kid zombies. No, we throughout haven't. Throughout the series. I mean, now, um, maybe there was something in the background we haven't, we didn't notice, but in terms of prominently featured kids there okay so there were let's let me think there was the sophia sophia there were the two little girl you know look at the flowers look at the flowers look at the flowers so maybe like three or four yeah like they've steered away from that that's why i was like when i was sitting there watching like yo do not say that as her own son no i don't think do not like that is even for the walking dead universe that's still messed up yeah but okay that does okay i was mean and ass because i'm just like i can understand at this stage in the game oh that'd be baller if they did it right but i'm just saying like how crazy that they're they're all calm about this like especially carol's like you know especially carol of all people yeah you know it's like her track record (laughs) just saying putting that out there um you know look at the flowers enough said (laughs) so we see though that they're like regrouped and they're making their play to rescue Connie too. Mm-hmm. And during this whole ordeal that they're trying to you know jump on the zombie train, or can we just call it the crazy train? Because sure, this works. Because they're going off the rails on a crazy train. So they do wind up subduing a trooper mm-hmm. who is dying, and it's kind of like this weird thing where they're trying to talk him into like. You know, you're like Gabriel is sitting there trying to talk to him and is basically like, you know, your last actions will define your life. And he's like he recognizes him from the church in the Commonwealth, Mm -hmm. which I thought was like, okay, this is kind of an odd time to be bringing this up. But I mean, you know, Gabriel does weird things. I mean, Seth Gilliam is is played him well. I mean, a lot better than he was in the comics. I'll say that. And you do see that that soldier is just not really willing to do this. And he actually winds up taking his own life before he coughs up anything. And then you do see – well, no, I'm sorry. That's uh, the first one that does that. Yep. The second one is mortally wounded, and yep. that's the one that Gabriel's talking to. Yep. Because, like I said, the soldiers were, like, very loyal to Pamela and not willing to cough up anything. Yeah, they're, so, like, loyal to the end. So that second one is the one that fesses up because he's sitting there dying, and he wants Gabriel to stay with him while he's praying. And then you see, when, like, later when they cut to the one shot, Gabriel's coming out with a knife. Yeah. So it's like he put him down. Yeah. Which is, like – Walking Dead Universe. Give, give me last rights, but then I'm going to stab you in the head. Yep. 
But he does get that information going on. So they're saying, okay, well, all the prisoners are going to Outpost 22. Mm -hmm. So it's weird to see how this is all playing. But then we find out that Outpost 22 is a familiar place. Mm -hmm. Pad, where is that? Alexandria. Yup. Boy, that was a plot twist. All roads lead back to home. And Alexandria is where our team is going now. Who says you can't go home? Yeah. Which was like, oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. This is very interesting. Awkward. Yep. And then from here, you see the pep rally speech, the Independence Day-esque uh, talk, hype, <laughs> rah, rah, sis, boom, bah, yeah. walking dead, walking dead, rah, 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 yeah. from Maggie, who's like, we're going to go get our kids. We're going to go back home. We're going to take it to the house. We're going to score. Today is our We're Independence winning. Day. Yeah, like, you just, like she, and I understand she's yeah. trying to do it, and she's like, and Pamela's not going to see us coming. Yeah. She's never going to know we're there. Yeah. And it was like. Cheesy, but I get it. It was cheesy. Like I said, she's just like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, like, and she was like, getting so fired up. I'm like, oh, man. Like, and this went on for like 10 minutes, too. Yeah. Like, this was a long way to end the show. Yeah, it was. So, like I said, when she's like trying to do that, I'm like. All right, I understand what you guys are trying to do, and that's why I said it felt like the penultimate episode. Could have could have cut it down, and, and I think it would have been more impactful. Yeah, like I say, it, it's it was just like yeah, you could have definitely cut it down a lot, and then it still would have been impactful. But the fact that it drug out, and like I said, it felt like Independence Day. And I will say on record, I cannot stand that movie. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry, like I I do not care for one. The Bill Pullman speech, I I know, yeah, is supposed to be like the greatest thing ever. I was like, can we get on with this already? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. This movie's, is my, the movie's okay. I'm sorry. The fact that you can hook up an Apple to take down a spaceship and it's all compatible. I mean, listen, it was the 90s. I still say, though. It was the 90s. Still never forget. I know I'm going to hear there, There's plenty of weird shit they did in the 80s, too. Yeah. Well, the 80s is a weird time period for movies, period. But still, the fact they hook up a, an Apple product and it takes down a spaceship. It wasn't on, even an Apple product. It was a floppy disk. Yeah. It was some, whatever it was. It was like, man, what the heck is going on here? I digress. Well, that was 90s movies, though. Floppy disks could end the world. Yep. That is the definition of reasons mm -hmm. but that's how this show ends so like i say other than maggie going we're gonna take it to the house we're gonna drive it we're gonna score we're gonna win the game like i'm sorry like the speech just came off so awkward mm -hmm. and like i understand what she was trying to do and it was, I, it was just too long yeah it was just the writing like i'm sorry that's where i'm gonna get critical and it was nothing about lauren cohen's performance like i thought she did great but i also thought the speech just went too long especially tr you're trying to, to sell the like she's talking to the viewers at home about this like, this is the rallying point. And I'm just like, ah. yeah, like we can just tie this up. But I mean, Pat, final thoughts on the episode. Thought it was a good episode. One, like I said, one of the best thing, one of the worst thing. But, you know, I still enjoyed it. And the setup for where we go these last three episodes is, is interesting. I'm all aboard for the ride on the crazy train. But I'm just like, it took us a while to get here and kind of dancing around. And I know what they're trying to set up. But yet again, it's something that The Walking Dead, in my opinion, struggles with. And that is you have too many characters on. The group needs to be thinned out however you want to do it, not saying everybody needs to get killed off. But I think though, you just have so much going on and it all needs to tie together. And then that final episode, I mean, I'm sure they're going to tie up all loose ends. I am very confident this show is going to do it, but with all the spinoffs coming on, it does take some of the danger out of here. So like when you're hearing Maggie's speech, at least for me, I'm going, well, it doesn't matter because you're going to survive this anyway. Same thing with Negan, same thing with Daryl. So who else is expendable here? Nevertheless, though, the show is still worth watching just for these final episodes, mm -hmm. I, I still think. 
you don't have to be watching fully in depth, but I think the the final episode is going to get a big pop in the ratings. Oh God, yeah, to a degree. Like I don't think they're going to be doing um, season three, season four numbers, but no, I think they'll still be doing well enough. It'll, it'll get a pop. It'll get a pop, and well deserved. In the meantime, though, hit us up in the hashtag hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about Outpost twenty two of the Walking Dead season eleven? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? And are you planning on watching the finale? I think that's kind of a better question right now. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial. Or, well, your phone, your watch, or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack. And I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 and Nerdy podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andnerdypod check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com whether it's DC, Marvel, comics or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you nerds. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast and there was a trailer drop mm-hmm. that you know, we were debating if we were going to cover. Yeah. Because it's been a while yeah. since this made a blip on the radar. Yeah. But Obviously, with James Cameron at the helm, mm-hmm. it was going to peak an in interest. Yeah. And we've been getting hit up on social media all day, at ODPH Podcast on Twitter. Uh, what did we think about this? So Pat and I were like, okay, we'll give you our reactions. And that is to Avatar The Way of Water trailer. Mm-hmm. The long, delayed sequel. Jesus Christ. To put it mildly? Yeah. You guys, a little story behind this, Pat? Yeah, so reading from the Wikipedia page uh, for Avatar The Way of Water, specifically under the development section, uh, I'm going to go through some of the highlights here. Uh, it says, quote, In 2006, Cameron stated that if Avatar was successful, he hoped to make two sequels to the film. In 2010, he said that the film's widespread success uh, confirmed that he would do so. Uh, the sequels were originally scheduled for release in December 2014 and 2015. Bear that number in mind. Yeah. Uh, he stated that the sequels would widen the universe while exploring other moons of uh, polyph- polyphemous. Gotta admit, I have, didn't even know that was a thing in the universe. Uh, the first sequel would focus on the ocean of Pandora and also feature more of the rainforest. He intended to capture footage for the sequel at the bottom of the Mariana Trench using a deep water submersible, which, side note, I do know he went down there. Okay. Uh, in 2011, Cameron stated that he was just starting to design the ocean ecosystem of Pandora and other worlds to be included in the story. Uh, in 2013, Cameron announced that the sequels would be filmed in New Zealand with performance capture to p- take place in 2014, so the original release date of said movie. Uh, an agreement with the New Zealand government required at least one world premiere to be held in Wellington and at least uh, $500 million approx- in New Zealand, approximately $410 million uh, in the United States mo- uh, money uh, at December 13 exchange rates. Uh, to be spent on production activity in New Zealand, including live-action filming and visual effects. The New Zealand government announced that it would raise its baseline tax rebate for filmmaking from 15% to 20%, with 25% available to international pro- 
productions uh, in some cases and 40% for New Zealand productions as defined by Section 18 of the New Zealand Film uh, Commission Act of 1978. Uh, Cameron mentioned a possible third sequel for the first time in 2012 and was officially confirmed the following year. Cameron was then looking to release Avatar 2 in 2015, but later that year, production was rescheduled to 2014, with the film to be released in 2016 and to be followed by two other sequels in 2017 and 2018. Uh, So if you're looking at your calendar, you clearly know those didn't come out. Nope. Uh, By 2015, uh, the scheduled release dates for the sequels were each delayed by another year, with the first sequel expected to be released in December 2017. This was due to the writing process, which Cameron called a complex job. The following month, Fox announced a further release delay. Uh, In February 2016, production of the sequels was scheduled to begin in April 2016 in New Zealand. Uh, In that month, April 2016, Cameron announced at CinemaCon that there will be four Avatar sequels, all of which will be filmed simultaneously. The four Avatar sequels, (laughs) which uh, share a $1 billion budget, uh, $250 million for each film, uh, new crew members, uh, and then the whole thing. So this movie has been in literal development hell for a decade. Well, let's face it. I mean, obviously, when this movie first came out 14 years ago, it revolutionized 3D back at the box office. For a cup of tea. For a cup of tea. Like, everything was trying to be 3D. Yeah. Because I will say this about Avatar. Not my favorite movie, by any means. No. Visually, it's amazing. Sto- yeah, story-wise, it's Pocahontas in space. Yes. You know, if you've ever seen the movie Pocahontas by Disney or some other, you know, film studio, you know the story. Exactly. You know, but the visuals are incredible. Yeah, the visuals are worth watching in 3D alone. So, like, that's why... It, God, it, if you can find a 3D copy these days. Yeah, good luck with that. I, I know they released it at the time in 3D, but I dare you to try and find one without having to pay through the nose on eBay. Mm-hmm. No, I, I fully agree because that's the one thing that James Cameron wanted to do. And obviously, you know, his track record throughout the years. I mean, Termi- yeah. Terminator, enough said yeah. Terminator two. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. I say, Terminator saga period. Like, yeah. you know, you, ha- you just, that's the easiest way to find him. He's done many other films other than that. But yeah. I'm just saying like, when you have that track record, yeah. you're allowed to call a shot. And Avatar was at one time the biggest movie in box office history. I think it's, uh, I think it technically is again, because while Avengers Endgame did overtake it, the film was re I'll, I'll have to pull up box office mojo here in a second, but I want to say the Avatar was re-released overseas and it has since taken back the number one mantle. Let me pull it up though. Okay. But still at the the point, like that's why this movie is so important, so to speak. Like this is why it's generating some buzz. But for the trailer to, or the sequel to come out 14 years later, there is a little luster on this. Like the, it's still going to be noteworthy, but does it still rank up? Does it still have that certain, you know, je ne sais quoi, if you will, of why I should watch this? And that's the, that's the question that we're kind of diving into because we're going to be talking about the trailer. Uh, so looking at boxofficemojo.com, and this is for worldwide gross because domestically, uh, Force Awakens is the number one grossing film in domestic history. Uh, worldwide, though, and this is as of this recording, as of this exact minute, uh, Avatar is sitting at $2,923,905,528. Avengers Endgame is at $2,797,501,328. Yeah. So it, Avengers Endgame did overtake Avatar, and Cameron did post a nice message on social media when it did. But I want to say some point within the last, like, 
couple of years. Uh, I think post pandemic, the film did get re-released. Uh, yeah, here it does. It did get a 20, it did get a re-release in 2020, uh, from August through December, uh, in the APAC markets, whatever that is. Uh, it did get a March 12th re-release in China, which got it. Holy shit. Uh, it got it $57.7 million holy shit. in China. Uh, and then in 47 markets uh, from September 21st through September 30th of this year, which I think this was like they pulled it off of they pulled it off of because the movie was on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. but they pulled it off of Disney Plus. They upped it to 4K uh, and then they re-released it in theater. So I think that's what this 2022 release is. Uh, it did. So from that week long period, it did gross uh, worldwide $76.5 million. Wow. That's impressive. So in, in the last year, it's pulled $100 million in. Yeah. So, I mean, that being said, there is a little hype to this. I mean, is the luster still there? I mean, that's the question we're going to be asking. That's going to be interesting. It's going to make money, but, like, are people going to care? Yeah, that's the whole thing because, in our opinions, uh, maybe. Maybe. Personally, I mean, I'm probably going to go see it just because I saw the first one. I know my girlfriend saw the trailer and was like, you know, we we need to see this movie. I was like, okay. You know, but personally, I think for it to be a smashing success – I think the window has long since passed because I'm sorry, the first one came out 2009. You know, it's we're now sitting here in 2022, and the second one is finally coming out. Like that is a long ass time to wait for a sequel. I agree, and and I get he's pushing the boundaries of the filmmaking experience and you know just the visuals and this and that, but like my guy, you waited too long. I agree, but that's our spoiler free statement about this. So let's go deep dive into the trailer about this and well. Three, two, one. Well, <laughs> we start underwater. Yeah, which is not a surprise. A great shot of the characters of the Navi dr- jumping into the water, and you do see just like I say, the CGI for the movie is still there. Well, the thing I'm going to tell you right now is it recently got revealed that the film's runtime is going to be three hours and ten minutes. The movie is titled the subtitled, I guess you could say, "The Way of Water." Mm-hmm. What's there going to be a lot of in this movie, Ken? Water. Uh, my recommendation, don't bring a drink. I, <laughs> I know that might be outrageous for some people, but hear me out. Don't bring a drink because there's going to be at least three hours of nothing but water on screen. You are guaranteeing yourself to need a bathroom break in the middle of this movie. Yeah. Do, it, do yourself a favor. Hydrate yourself before the movie. Go to the bathroom before the movie and then just enjoy. Yeah. So then we get to the credits of 20th Century Studios in there, and then you do see that we do see a couple familiar faces in the Avatar universe come back. We see Natiri, who's played by or voiced by Zoe Salanda, makes her appearance, and she is pregnant at this time. And then you get a quick flashback to Jake, who is voiced by Sam Worthington, who is now part of the, the Navi. The Navi, yeah. The Navi. And is talking to what appears to be his adopted daughter. Mm-hmm. And this has been something that's been kind of going online. Had to do a little research on a couple of different sites. And is uh, announced that this is the character of Kiri. Who allegedly is voiced by Sigourney Weaver. Well, according to the IMDb, she is. Yes. Which is interesting because in the first movie, Sigourney Weaver was in there as Dr. Grace Augustine. Oh, yeah, that's right. So hmm. we're just going to call this Reasons. Reasons. This this is like Luke kissing Leia levels. Yeah, of, levels the, of weird. I'm just rolling with it, and we're just kind of bouncing from there. And you do see that obviously, as they're talking, they're conf- you know, Kiri saying, "I can feel her heart. I can feel her." And you're seeing more of the Navi is running around. I mean, obviously, the the CGI here is very beautiful. Mm-hmm. You're hearing this. Oh God, yeah. 
So you do see a couple shots of them going through the grass, and then you do see a couple shots of basically, you know, standing around this purple tree. It looks like it's the tree from the first movie. Yeah. Could be wrong. It definitely could be. But you're as you're seeing, the whole Navi is, is surrounding this. And you do see them, like I say, there's more all, just going through the landscape, which, I mean, this is the big it's selling a lot of It's a lot of visual stuff. It's a lot of visual stuff. So, I mean, that's the one thing you got to take away. Then they're borrowing from the House of Dragons, and you're seeing them flying in air. Well, I mean, on, they did on, this in the first one. On dragon-esque you know, creatures. But, yeah, they do touch upon this as well. And then we do see the shot that you've seen a lot of times involving Avatar, and that's Jake swimming next to the whale mm-hmm. underwater. And it's, it's, like I say, visually amazing looking. Yeah. And... They are focusing a lot of time underwater as well. But it just doesn't really give a lot to like where the plot is going with this. No. I and mean, that's one thing that, you know, they're trying to tie into a lot where Kiri is. But overall, like what is going on with this, they don't tip off a lot. No, they don't. I mean, the only thing we really get from the, the movie is that something's going on with the planet because one of Jake's kids keeps talking about, oh, I can hear the heartbeat. I can hear the heartbeat. And he's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And it's never really it's it's kind of like a left, you know, on the edge of like her just about to say it, but they never tell you. Yeah. So it's just really kind of alluding to a lot, but they don't really say what's going on, which is kind of a weird trailer, but is what it is. And then you do see more shots of everybody is now returning of the planet Pandora. Mm -hmm. And they're just kind of going through more of the creatures underwater. We do get a shot, though, after they do show more of the ocean. And like I say, they really emphasize about the creatures there. We do see the return of the humans, of the humans, the evil army that is trying to take over. And we do see some of the new armor that they have from the Resources Development Administration. Well, and we do know uh, from the, and I'm reading from the description on the 20th Century Studios uh, YouTube page, uh, it does say in the description, quote, set more than a decade after the events of the first film. Yeah. So, so it, it just says more than a decade. So we're looking at 10 plus years since the first one. So Lord knows if this is the same crew from the first, or some of the same people from the first go around, or if this is people who just didn't learn the lesson of what happened the first time. Yeah. So it's, it's still it's kind of the second one. I'm guessing the second one too. I mean, it's kind of left up in the air and they just really haven't like dived into everything mm-hmm. about this. So it is kind of weird to see what is going on with this. Yeah, but it it does play into the factors of this, and then you see obviously the destruction that's going on on the planet. Again, it, it's a it's a big shot that you do see the fire is emerging through the planet, and then you do see it looks like uh, a villain of some sort is crushing a skull. Well, that's no, that, that's that's Jake. Oh, that, no, that's that's it looks like Jake crushing a human skull. Ooh, that's interesting. That's a human skull. See, I couldn't tell if that was Jake from because it's very poorly lit. For where he is, like it's 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 in a dark cave. It looks I think like. it's I think it's Jake, and I'll call it his uh, armor look or his battle look because he he looks one way in the movie when it's just him with his family and this and that. But then when he gets ready for battle in the battle sequences, he looks closer to like how a soldier would look. So like you got the, the short hair and it's tied back and the whole nine. All right, fair point. And then you get a shot to more of the RDA coming through there, and you do see that the Navi is getting together, Mm -hmm. and they're basically planning on going to war. You do see a little bit of infighting, which is kind of a little... Yeah, the the Outsiders gets mentioned. Yes. And then it's just more visual shots of the planet, too. Mm -hmm. Like I say, they don't really dive into a lot of the plot. No. But when they do, it's just kind of like a stick and move, so to speak. Kind of. You do see a lot of the history, and they're talking about before your birth and after your death, the water is part of you. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and it's just more visual shots of just what's going on. You do get some more of the RDA and their battleships that they have coming in there. So obviously, I think this is going to apply to what you're going to see in a video game to be named. Probably. But it doesn't really tip off anything. Like I say, they did a great job about camouflaging Mm -hmm. what's really going on, but they're really going back to the playbook of just trying to sell you on the visuals, Mm -hmm. which... I, Which is fine, but like I like a little substance to my visuals. Yeah, because you're really not seeing anything that's game changing here. Like, no. like it's it's very impressive for a CGI aspect. But for me to go to a movie theater or watch this, I mean, I'm not really sold on this to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You know, and you do see the final shot of Natiri and Jake's in there and saying strong heart, and they get ready for that final battle, and then you see the credit roll out. Yeah. So I mean, Pat, just seeing this initial shot, I mean. We've now talked about it. Mm-hmm. What, what's the final reaction? I mean, visually, it looks stunning, but so did the first one, you know. But then you got to the first one, and it was it was uh, Pocahontas in space. What this one will be, I don't know. But, like, am I going to see it? Probably. Am I going to see it opening night? Probably not. You know, I did see the first one. I, I remember enjoying the first one, you know. But for the being the number one grossing movie of all time, I've seen it maybe a grand total of twice. You know, I saw it once in theaters with this girl I was dating at the time. Not my current girlfriend, but, you know, one from, yeah, yeah, from the past. one from the past. And then, you know, flash forward, like, I want to say maybe about a year later, you know, it was Christmas time. And I got the because I, I wanted the Blu-ray copy, but, you know, my lo- all of the local stores sold out of them. Mm-hmm. So my mom got me a three version DVD version of the movie, which it had the theatrical cut, the extended cut, and then the director's cut of the movie. Watched it on New Year's Eve with my family because we, you know, we didn't go out to the theater to see a movie. The one we were going to go to had closed early for the night and watched it then. So outside of I don't think I've seen this movie since 2010. You know, I've seen it on TV, but I haven't watched it. It's always been like I'm flipping channels. Oh, hey, there's Avatar. and And I kept it moving, you know, so for being the number one grossing movie of all time, I've seen it a grand total of twice. And I felt like that was enough. You know, I might rewatch the first one, you know, if, when I go to see the second one, just to kind of refresh on what everything is. But like in terms of like, oh, my God, I'm over the moon. I'm going to be there day one. I'm going to be the first person in line to see this movie. No. And I'm sure there are people who are like that. And to that, hey, fine. You know, if you're excited for this, and you're going to be there day one. Hey, kudos to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you certainly sat there and waited a long time for the sequel to come out and you're about to get paid off for it, you know, but it's going to be something. And like I said, go to the bathroom beforehand. Uh, if, if, cause I've got the trailer up, they're advertising to buy or rent the first one. The first one was two hours and 41 minutes. Yeah. This one's an additional half hour longer. So this is going to be three hours and 10 minutes. Holy shit. Go to the bathroom beforehand. You're going to need it. You know, from what I saw from this trailer, if it's going to be more than three hours, it's just going to literally be a tour around the planet. It's going to be like a national geographic movie. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not necessarily sold on this as a as a premiere night thing. No. And like I would gonna say the pluses are it's still visually stunning. Oh, oh yeah, because I gotta say we, we were watching on the laptop we used to record, which I'm looking at the settings. We had it at seven hundred and twenty P, could have gone to ten eighty P. It looked great at on seven twenty. Yeah. Like we weren't at the full ten eighty and it looked fantastic. It's still impressive. And that's the big takeaway that I would say. The Cameron and company still haven't lost their touch with the CGI. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking me for some more substance with this, honestly... Might be the wrong movie. This is the wrong movie. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I'm watching this going... We literally had, for a two-minute trailer, mm-hmm. about a minute just touring around the planet. Yeah, because where we're at... I'm at the point on the trailer uh, where the, the logo starts. 
And that is at 2.17. Yeah. It's a two-minute and 27-second 27, 27 trailer, but then the, the logo first starts pop, popping out at 2.17. So for two minutes and 17 seconds, there was very little story given and a shitload of uh, visuals. Yeah. But for overall substance, it really wasn't there. Like, until you see the RDA battleship show up in the water, that's, like, the only time you saw, okay, like, maybe what's going on and who's behind everything. But other than that, you I mean it just was literally like a natural National Geographic film, and, and like listen, if you're into that, that's great. But for me, I'm kind of going like, okay, I need some more to this. Like there was a little thing where you see the Navi is on their ship, and then apparently it's sinking, and they're going underwater. But other than that, there really isn't a lot to go off of. I'm sorry, there really isn't. So I'm hoping that there is going to be another trailer out, maybe a little beforehand, or maybe like a, a like a two minute short. That kind of gives a little backstory of what's going on. Maybe. I mean, you're, they're almost going to have to put something out before the movie because to expect everyone owns a movie, it might be back on a Disney Plus, which if you want to go out and check it, hey, by all means. But yeah, no, they're going to have to put something out. I'm scrolling through the YouTube comments and the YouTube comments, you know, everyone's excited. This one caught my eye, though. Uh, this user said, quote, he did it with Terminator 2. Let's see if he does it with Avatar 2. Close quote. Yay. Slow down there. Yeah, yeah. Slow down there, yeah, buddy. Yeah, you pump the brakes. I mean, it's not Terminator. Like, there's only th- some of the things terminating that you can do. Then <laughs> this might not be the one. I, I, I don't know. Like, it's going to be a stretch, to be honest with you. Like, just initial reaction, I'm going, okay, it's eye candy. But then again, I already saw it before, and I left there going, like, okay, well, if I didn't watch it in 3D, like, why am I wasting my time? There is a comment. Is this based off of Pocahontas 2? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't think they're wrong in asking if that. If you haven't seen Pocahontas two, that movie is fucking awful. Yeah, but that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from this. Like, it might. Like I say, initial reaction is I'm not impressed. Other than the CGI is great, mm-hmm. but do I want to go sit there and watch for the CGI for three hours? That's the question I'm going to have to I'll, ask. I'll opening. probably see, but it's more so that like my girlfriend wants this. Like she saw the trailer for it, and she's like, "Oh, we got to see this." I was like, "Okay." Oh, sure. But I was th- like, oh, "Okay." But that makes sense. But at the same time, like I guess I'm going here, going like. I saw the first one. I wasn't that impressed with it. Yeah. Like, I thought it was great visually. I was like, visually, I was impressed. Story-wise, no. No, story-wise, it was, it was very generic, in my opinion. So, Well, and it's funny how time changes that, because, like, at the time, I remember it was up against Hurt Locker uh, for and whatever other movies it was up against for the Oscars for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Avatar 2 is going to win Best Oscar or Best Picture. Yeah, it was such a good film. And then it, it didn't, and Hurt Locker won. And I was like, well, how could And I've now since seen both movies. Story-wise, I would say Hurt Locker is a better movie, but is it the best movie that year? Probably not. No, it's definitely not. But we'll have to wait and see when it comes out in December. Until then, though, it's up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the Avatar The Way of Water trailer? Give us your honest reaction. We can definitely have that discussion. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains 
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, the first of which is we got a release date for the upcoming HBO series based on the video game of the same name, The Last of Us. Uh, and it was, a, I guess, a confirmation because this date had leaked out maybe a couple days, maybe a week or so before. Uh, but reading from an article on Variety.com, it says, quote, HBO's highly anticipated The Last of Us TV series based on the popular PlayStation video game will debut on January 15th, 2023 at 9 p.m. Eastern slash Pacific. Uh, the company confirmed Wednesday. Season one will consist of nine or yes, excuse me, uh, season one will consist of nine episodes. The official date announcement comes after eagle eyed HBO Max users spotted an accidental leak on the streaming site Tuesday morning. Uh, the Last of Us stars Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey as Joel and Ellie. Two survivors in a post-apocalyptic America overrun by zombie-like monsters called clickers. A deadly disease called the cordyceps fungus has ravaged the world and turned its victims into shambling husks with mushroom-like spores growing from their bodies. Just like the original video game, Joel must travel across the country with Ellie on an important mission, all while dodging clickers, bandits, and all sorts of danger. Uh, the cast inclu- includes Gabriel Luna as Joel's brother, Tommy, uh, Merle Dandridge as Marlene, the, uh, the leader of the rebel group called the Fireflies, Nico Parker as Joel's daughter, Sarah, Murray Bartlett as Frank, Nick Offerman as Bill, Jeffrey Pierce as Perry, and Anna Torv as Tess. Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson, who played Joel and Ellie in The Last of Us video game and its sequel, will also appear in the show in undisclosed roles. Uh, close hmm. quote. Well, I'm excited for the show. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've only played the video game a little bit here and there. So have I. But I'm excited for this. Like this, so far I've been very impressed with what I've seen from yeah. it. Yeah. So give it to me. I'll say plus the you've got the uh, video game creators, Insomniac, and some of the folks who worked on the original video games involved with the making of this show, mm-hmm. which just means it's going to be uh, very good and, and uh, hopefully super faithful to the video game. I'm I'm excited for it too. Yeah, definitely. Now to some streaming news that I'm kind of on the fence, not so excited about, because this news dropped on Saturday, and initially I saw it and went, awesome! And then some more stuff coming started rolling in, and I'm like, wait, I missed that in the initial release. Hmm. Went back and looked, and I went, fuck! Uh, so this is Witcher news. Uh, and so reading from an article on Variety.com, it says, quote, The Witcher has been renewed for a fourth season by Netflix, which is about as far as I read on the initial post from Netflix. And I went, awesome, because season three ain't even out yet. Right, right. And I was like, hey, that's a good sign for season three. They clearly enjoyed season four. Awesome. And I literally closed Twitter, and I was like, oh, cool, moved on. And then Twitter started blowing up some more. Uh, the article goes on to say, though the hit fantasy series will be missing one familiar face, Henry Cavill will exit production after the upcoming third season debuts, with Liam Hemsworth set to take over the lead role of Geralt oh, of Rivia. Oh, that's interesting. The streamer announced the renewal and casting news on Saturday afternoon, with both Hemsworth and Cavill also releasing statements. Reading into the tone of both statements, the decision seems to be an amicable passing of the torch. Quote, My journey as Geralt of Rivia has been filled with both monsters and adventures, and alas, I will be laying down my medallion and my swords for season four, Cavill said in a statement on Instagram. In my stead, the fantastic Mr. Liam Hemsworth will be taking up the mantle of the White Wolf. As with the greatest of literary characters, I pass the torch with reverence for the time spent embodying Geralt and enthusiasm to see Liam's take on this most fascinating and nuanced of men. Liam, good sir, this character has such a wonderful depth to him. Enjoy diving in and seeing what you can find. Close quote. and then uh, you had Liam Hemsworth say, uh, quote, as a Witcher fan, I'm over the moon about the opportunity to play Geralt of Rivia. 
Henry Cavill has been an incredible Geralt, and I'm honored that he's handing me the reins and allowing me to take up the White Wolf's blades for the next chapter of his adventure. Uh, Henry, I've been a fan of yours for years and was inspired by what you brought to this beloved character. I may have some big boots to fill, but it's truly exciting to be stepping into the Witcher world. Close quote. Well. Yeah. I think a couple things. Uh, solid replacement. It's, a, it's not bad. It's not a bad replacement for him because obviously this means Man of Steel 2. Man, well, Man of Steel 2 or he's tied up with something else that is not Man of Steel 2 that is uh, more interesting to him and possibly a little more mm-hmm. dollar dollar for him. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. But I, th- I think it's probably Man of Steel 2. Yeah, let's be honest. Like The fact he made the big Instagram announcement saying I'm back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely going. So, I mean, it's cool to see The Witcher's back. Yeah. You know, because obviously you never know with Netflix these days. Yeah, this is very true. So I uh, mean I mean I'm I'm sad to see Henry go just because he is such a fan of the video games. Right. And he's played, you know, hundreds of hours and he's I think he said he's played the third one at least three times, which that's a hell of a feat because that's a long game to play. Facts. Start to finish. Um but so I'm gonna give Liam Hemsworth a shot because he does say he's a fan of the series. So I'm like, okay, they're not just bringing in somebody who's looking for a paycheck. It's somebody who cares about the character. So will it be the same as, as Henry? Maybe. I don't know. You know, I'm willing to give it a shot. So we'll see. It'll, it'll be a little while, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, exactly. Uh, switching over to some video game news. Uh, we got some news announcement of a three-game deal with between Marvel, Disney, and EA Games. Hmm. So reading from an article on GameSpot.com, it says, quote, Last month's announcement of an upcoming game starring Iron Man was revealed to be the first of several titles based on a Marvel Comics IP. Uh, but EA didn't exactly uh, reveal exactly how many Marvel projects it has in development. Today, EA has lifted the lid on its collaboration plans with Disney and Marvel and has confirmed that it has a three-game deal has been signed according to Bloomberg. So far, only the Iron Man game has been revealed, which is being developed by Dead Space Remake Studio EA Motive. Still in, still in a very early phase of development, EA Motive said this, that it is aiming to create an authentic Marvel experience starring the Armored Avenger and will reportedly begin playtesting this week as part of some early fine-tuning for the game. The announcement post uh, on EA's website last month said that Iron Man marked the start of a new long-term partnership between the company and Marvel Games, calling this game the first of several new games. While the other two games haven't been revealed yet, Disney and EA did confirm that each of these games will be their own original story set within the Marvel Universe. Quote, We have been long-time fans of Marvel and their impressive leadership, so this is a remarkable moment for our developers as well as our players and fans, said EA COO Laura Meal in a press statement. We look forward to welcoming Marvel into the EA family of creators and know this is this collaboration will produce exceptional experiences for our players. We can't wait to see players' reactions when they suit up as Iron Man and do the extraordinary thing this superhero is known for, close quote. Uh, so this is super interesting. And, uh, hey, Iron Man makes all the sense in the world. He's one of, if not the most recognizable Marvel character these days. Mm-hmm. You know, but going to be tough just because Iron Man, much like Superman in video games, kind of hard to pull off. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be quite the challenge. Mm-hmm. But then again, I mean, Iron Man has kind of crossed into this whole pop culture landscape. Mm-hmm. That, like, if you put him in a video game, people are going to buy it just because of name, yeah. name uh, value. Like I mean, it. I think of the movie video game they did, which wasn't that good. But then you get to the Avengers video game, which playing as Iron Man in that was probably... Iron Man was probably my favorite one to play in the Avengers video game from mm-hmm. uh, Square Enix. Yeah. 
you know, but the, the controls on him could have been a little bit better. Yeah, I agree. But then you get the VR stuff, which I I did a demo of the VR stuff at New York Comic Con one year. The VR stuff's amazing. Yes, you know, so there's potential there. In listen, EA make it more like the Guardians of the Galaxy game, which is more story based. Don't make it like uh, Gotham Knights or the Avengers video game. Please, for the love of God, don't microtransaction the shit out of this game. Mm-hmm. Fans will love you for it. Yeah, that's true. You will earn some credit back in the fans' eyes of being a not-so-shitty company. Yeah. <laughs> Facts. You, fact. need, you need all the help you can get. Facts. Uh, and then switching over to some more Marvel news, but this time on the streaming side, uh, it was announced that we're getting a Vision spinoff series. Yeah, let's uh, talk about this. Yeah, so reading from an article on Variety.com, it says, quote, a WandaVision spinoff centered on Vision is in development at Disney+. Plus. Variety has confirmed with sources. The series is currently titled Vision Quest, which is also the name of a Marvel comic book arc centered on the character. While exact plot details are currently under wraps, it is believed the show would follow the newly created Vision seen in the closing episodes of WandaVision as he tries to regain his memories. In the comic, the story factors into the West Coast Avengers storyline. Paul Bettany is returning in the role of Vision, with WandaVision head writer and executive producer Jack Schaefer overseeing the writer's room, which will begin work next week. As has been the case uh, in the past, Marvel uh, past reps for Marvel Studios do not comment on projects in development. Close quote. Well, a few thoughts. I mean, Mm -hmm. very happy to see Paul Bettany's coming back. Hell yeah. Super excited about that. Uh, story-lies, uh, story-wise, I should say, uh, cause I was like, story-lies, cause I mean, I just, I, you know, you, you hear so many rumors about shows like this and you're mm-hmm. like, okay, this is really going to happen. Story-wise, like, I don't know, man. I just don't know. Like, there's a couple different ways they can go. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. I know that they definitely want to try bringing the vision back. Right. In some capacity. It just... They've done this in the comics in the past too. I just don't know if they're going to go the same route. Like that's the only thing with me. I'm just I'm intrigued to see how this all shapes up. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be watching because I think this has got some potential, especially with the other big announcement they had this week too. Well, the thing my thing with the vision is like, will I watch it? Absolutely. Am I excited for it? Yeah. But like, I think just given what the framework of the story is, without knowing too much about you know all this, is what they're going to do, it's going to have to be a short series season. You know, I don't think you can go super long with this just because. Oh, six episodes most. Six episodes at most. Yeah, that, that seems perfect because what was, what was a She-Hulk? That was like 10, 12. You know, there's no way you could stretch it into, into that for this. So if, if you go short, keep it concise, you know, no fluff. I think, I think it's got potential. It definitely has potential, but I think when we get closer to it, like what they would exactly do for it, like mm-hmm. that's. That is what it really is interesting for me to see how this plays out. Because, I mean, the Vision, like, we, t- we touched upon this in the past when we were talking WandaVision. He's not a character that has a rogues gallery. Mm-hmm. There's only been a few things that he has been very much well done in the comics. I mean, he had his own little series, but I know they're not going to go there. The one that Tom King wrote. Right. I know they're not going to do that one. At least I would say, I, I should say I know for a fact, but I'll say I'll predict that they won't go there. Uh, even though I would love to see that, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think, though, they can kind of do a couple different things to bring him in, but is it really going to be enough to stretch into a full-blown series? Like, that's where it kind of teeter with. Mm-hmm. WandaVision, I, I really enjoyed. I understand what they're going with. Yeah. I know some people really didn't like it, but I think it was it was right place, right time for that. Sure. 
So can they recapture the magic? I think they can, but it really, like I say, I can't stress enough, it really depends on what they want to do with it. Because like I say, they've done a version in the comics before, so it's not out of the realm of thought. It's just how they do it falling out-wise. Mm-hmm. That's my only kind of question. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but the other Marvel news you alluded to was we got a casting announcement for the upcoming Wonder Man series. Yes. Uh, so the reading from an article courtesy of Variety.com, quote, Marvel Studios has its Wonder Man. Yeah, uh, yeah, Abdul Mateen II is set to join the Disney Plus series Wonder Man as Simon Williams, who transforms into the titular superhero. It will be Abdul Mateen's third major comic book character after playing the villain Black Manta in 2018's Aquaman and Dr. Manhattan in HBO's 2019 series Watchmen, uh, for which he won an Emmy. He's already set to reprise Black Manta and Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, currently scheduled for t- Christmas 2023. Uh, filmmaker Dustin Daniel Cretton, who directed Marvel's 2021 feature Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, is developing Wonder Man with head writer Andrew Guest, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Community... Oh, that's too good, series. Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of Cretton's overall deal with Marvel Studios and Onyx Collective. Cretton may direct as well, though he's got a crowded plate. He's already got to direct 2025's Avengers of Kang Dynasty, and he's expected to helm the prospective, though unannounced, Shang-Chi sequel. Uh, so, close quote. Love this casting. Did not even hear that this was a possibility. I'll, I'll be honest. Like when I when I saw the the article pop up, I was like, oh, right. I marked out. See, in the comics, I am not a big fan of Wonder Man. Sure, I just I never have really been sold on him. I understand why people do like him. Uh, he's he's a weird character. To say the least. Well, like, so the, the the article on Variety does delve into the comic books a little bit. It says, quote, in the comic books, Williams is the son of a wealthy industrialist whose company, Williams Innovations, is run out of business due to competition from Stark Industries. In desperation, Simon turns to Baron Zemo, who gives Simon superpowers and directs him to infiltrate and then betray the Avengers. Eventually, however, Simon joins the Avengers in earnest and uh, and is even a founding member of the spinoff team, the West Coast Avengers. However, it's unclear how much or how little uh, of this storyline will make its way into the series. Close quote. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't. That's why I say, like, I don't know where they're going to tie into that. Like, I see that Stark Industries is the reason he gets his power. I could see them working that. Like, in. I could see that. Yeah. Doing. And then he's just he's he's tied in with Scarlet Witch and the yeah. Vision too. There, and that's what I say. I could see Vision Quest being the setup for Wonder Man because there's a weird connection in the comics between Vision, Scarlet Witch, and Wonder Man. It's it's reasons to the letter. So I can see them doing this. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of thought. Uh, if they do, I think it's going to be it's going to get weird. But then again, Marvel will dip a, dip there if they have to at, at times. But like I say, for the different incarnations of Simon Williams, yeah, he has a certain Gene Gray factor to you him. You know as well. what you know what they're going to do. Um, the Stark Industries thing still works. You know they could retroactively do it. I mean, Christ, they did it for uh, Mysterio and Spider Man. Mm. They could do it for this, but I think it won't be Baron Zemo recruiting him. Uh, it'll be Julia Louise Dreyfus's uh, Allegra de Fontaine. Ooh. I, I think she. I think she could fill in the Baron Zemo role in this in this aspect. You know that that, that would make a lot more sense. That would. That's that's just my. Th- I was th- I was looking up the name as you were talking, but 
that that's where I'm rolling with is she's going to be the one to recruit him and like, hey, listen, I, I know you you screwed over, you got screwed over by Stark Industries, and you kind of hate everything about him, him and the Avengers. Why don't you you set those goals to a uh, fruitful project? I love it. Uh, I'm in. I'm in for that because, like I say, they could do that, and yeah, you know what they can. I oh, see. Like I'm just I'm I'm trying not to ruin it too much, but but I can see them also getting the Vision involved in this too. And it's gonna get it's gonna get weird. It is gonna get weird if they do what I think they're gonna do. So I'm just gonna leave it at that. But I am excited about the casting. I love it, and I'm actually excited about a Wonder Man show because I'll tell you what, in the comics, not really so much. But if he comes out rocking some old school Wonder Man uh, red coat and, and sunglasses, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. And we got some late breaking uh, Marvel news that some casting for Agatha Coven of Chaos, uh, and that is Aubrey Plaza is joining the series. I'm here. For, all right, I'm sold. I'm done. Uh, so, that, I, that's all I need to know. <laughs> oh, I, oh, oh, calm down. I got one more after this that I haven't told you about. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Not Marvel related, though. Uh, but so reading from an article on this is coming to us courtesy of the folks over at the Illuminati uh, partway through because they go through some recaps of like D23 and Marvel Phase 4 and all that. Uh, but the article does say, quote, now we at the Illuminati can exclusively reveal that Aubrey Plaza is set to join the Disney Plus series in an undisclosed role described as part of a group of supporting female characters. Uh, Aubrey Plaza is best known for her role in the hit sitcom Parks and Recreation. Since then, she's starred in several comedies, including Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates and Dirty Grandpa. Over the last few years, she has been delivering acclaimed performances in dramas like Black Bear and most recently Emily and the Emily the Criminal. Uh, she can currently be seen in the second season of the Emmy Award, Emmy-winning show The White Lotus, for which she already gen, uh, garnered Emmy buzz. Agatha Coven of Chaos marks Aubrey Plaza's second Marvel role as she previous as she already played uh, Lenny Busker in Legion. And she was fantastic in that. She's awesome. Oh, she was. Yeah, I'm all in about this. I'm hearing a lot of rumors about the casting here too, and there is some kind of speculation going around that you might see Scarlet, which is uh, twins involved mm. in back here, aged. Like, yeah. So now they'll be tying into be. Young Avengers slash Champions. I'm hearing rumors about that, so I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm just going to say this is all speculation. But listen, I'm 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 getting excited about the casting for here. Like I'm hearing a lot of good things about the show. So let's see what they do. But like I say, this was not one that I was super excited about now. But mm-hmm. with Aubrey Plaza joining, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, and the other bit of a casting news, and this is one I specifically didn't tell you. Uh, he quote he this is coming to us from OneTakeNews.com. Quote: He's been in Marvel, Star Wars, and DC. Now he's ready to join another big franchise. Veteran actor Clancy Brown is the latest actor to join the cast of the boys spinoff, The Boys Gen oh. V. Gen V for Prime Video. Do not toy with me like this. One Take News has exclusively learned his role is being kept under wraps, but sources say that Brown will be in at least one episode with the possibility to appear in more. Prime Video did not respond to multiple requests for comments. Reps for Brown declined to comment. Uh, Clancy Brown has been an established actor in Hollywood for over three decades. Brown has appeared in such films as The Shawshank Redemption, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Thor Ragnarok, and is slated to appear in John Wick Chapter 4. However, Brown is more well-known for his television and voice roles. Brown voiced Savage Opress in Star Wars The Clone Wars and has been the voice of Lex Luthor in various D- uh, DC animated shows, uh, starting with Superman the Animated Series. Uh, the Boys Gen V is described as an irreverent R-rated series that explores the lives of hormonal competitive soups as they put their physical, sexual, and moral boundaries to the test, competing for the best contracts in the best cities. It's part college show, part Hunger Games, with all heart, satire, and raunch of the boys. Close quote. I'm in. 
I'm in. You know I'm a big fan of him, too. I'm in. I saw that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm including that. Oh, f- yes. Mm-hmm. That's a big, big win, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some last almost casting news, what could have been news. Uh, Gene Hackman. Uh, you're familiar with Gene Hackman, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Uh, Lex Luthor yeah, in the original Superman series. Oh, legend. Almost appeared in Smallville. Really? Yeah. So Smallville having a bit of a resurgence. It is, you know, 20 years since the, well, 21 now, since the first season of the show uh, appeared or uh, debuted. Uh, you know, obviously you've got Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling going through and rewatching the series uh, in Talkville, which is a fantastic podcast. If you're not listening to it, you should. Uh, but this article uh, from Screen Rant does say, quote, Smallville's co-creators wanted the legendary actor Gene Hackman on the show. Here's who he would have played and why it didn't happen. So the article goes on to say, quote, one major issue stood in the way of Gene Hackman making an appearance on Smallville. Among the many memorable performances by the iconic actor was his villainous role as Lex Luthor in 1978 Superman movie. He also portrayed the character in two of the sequels, Superman 2 and Superman 4 A Quest for Peace. And apparently he could have had a role in a fourth DC project tied to the Man of Steel. According to Smallville co-creator Alfred Goff, there were discussions about giving Hackman one of two different roles on the show via Comics Continuum. Uh, However, these talks never panned out and ultimately fell through when they found out how much a guest appearance for him would cost. Goff never named a figure, but did say that Hackman's day rate was so, quote, astronomical that they couldn't even touch it. Presumably, the prospect of the Superman star appearing on Smallville was never revisited, regardless of how interesting it would have been for him to share a scene with Michael Rosenbaum's Lex Luthor or Christopher Reeve's Dr. Virgil Swan. Uh, And then the article goes on to say, Goff mentioned two characters that they had in mind for Hackman had they been able to work out the deal. The first was Jor-El which is a role that later went to a different Superman movie actor. In Smallville Season 2, Superman 2's Zod actor, Terrence Stamp, was cast as the voice of Clark's Kryptonian father. The other option the show's creators considered was Lex's maternal grandfather. Since the show never actually introduced the character or even discussed him, it's likely that Smallville would have crafted a story around him if Hackman agreed to a lower rate. Uh, And, of course, he's not the only actor uh, to appear on Smallville from the movies. Uh, The article does go on to say, Though Smallville failed to secure a guest starring role from Hackman, it was able to utilize an impressive number of actors uh, connected to Superman's movies and shows. In fact, five from the four Superman movies movies that starred Reed. Reeve. In addition to Reeve himself uh, and Stamp, uh, you had Smallville also found room for Lois Lane actress Mar- uh, Margot Kidder, who played Dr. Swan's associate and ex-girlfriend in seasons three and four. Mark uh, McClure, best known for playing Jimmy Olsen in the movies, portrayed a Kryptonian scientist who gave up his powers to live a normal life in a season seven episode. And you have Annette, Annette O'Toole wasn't cast for her Superman connections, though it's worth noting Smallville's Martha Kent was... Uh, played Lana Lang in Superman 3. That would have been huge. Oh, it would have been insane. That I would have, I would have lost my shit. Like I already lost my shit when they when the preview came up and Christopher Reeve was going to be on it. Yeah. And, and I was like, "Holy shit, we're getting Christopher Reeve?" Yeah. If Gene Hackman would have showed up on screen, I would have lost my damn mind. I would have freaked out. I would have freaked like I was not watching it at the time. Mm-hmm. I would have been jumping back in. Oh yeah. I would have been all about that. Man, what could have been? Could have been. And if you want to get, like I said, when you want to get into Smallville now, hey, good time. Uh, all of the episodes of all 10 seasons are currently on Hulu. Uh, and you can go along and listen to the Talkville podcast with Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling. Tom Welling remembers an astounding amount of things from filming, despite the sh- fact he filmed it like 20 years ago. 
Uh, and they just, uh, one of the more recent episodes I listened to had these show creators on and boy, they remember a lot of stuff too. So it, it's fun to listen to. And, and just, especially, you know, when they talk about the episode early on, I want to say it was like episode four, maybe five. They had Amy Adams on, hmm. they had Amy Adams in a guest starring role. So it's a lot of crazy stuff and it's a good listen. Yeah, it definitely is an interesting listen. I, I've caught it a couple times. But, man, what could have been? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so, for me, I'll just close it out with the comic recommendations like we always do here on the ODPH. So, hopefully, you got your pen and paper written down. Hopefully, you're listening to this podcast on the way to the LCS because we definitely want to make sure you're doing this. Because you got first stop is the digital LCS right now, and that is for Barnstormers 3, Scott Snyder, Tulalotes, D- World War One era, Bonnie and Clyde story has definitely picked hmm. up some steam. It is phenomenal. I'm going to be showing Pat some artwork because I think Tula Lote, how amazing is this artwork? That's nice. Yeah. That's she, real nice. She is absolutely capturing this time period. And like I say, the story is only getting better and better as they're getting in. There's kind of a game-changing moment. I don't want to spoil anything for it. But if you've been reading the series already, like I say, they're doing a lot of interesting things here. I love the story that's getting built here. And like I said, Tula Lote's art is just phenomenal. And then, obviously, you got to plug what's it, out from Boom Studios this week. And there was a series that came out. It came under my you know, watchful eye. And I tell you what, I got shivers reading this. It's Behold Behemoth, number one. Okay. Tate Brombell, Nick Robles. Uh, like I say, this book, Pad, you won't read it because it's horror. No. So I will say this. I was blown away by the story. It is wild. Like, it is just one that caught my attention. It starts out with a funeral and a character by the name of Grayson is having visions falling out because obviously his brother has just passed away and where it goes from here is literally all over the place, but it is a awesome read. I got a quick thing from boom studios. It's sold out. It's already in second printing right now. It is doing big things at the local comic shop. So if you're not down there grabbing this issue right now, make sure you run down there and go get it. It is one that will completely blow your mind. And if you're into like horror supernatural stuff, this is right up your alley because I tell you what, I was reading this and I'm like, wow, absolutely blown away by it. The imagery here is impressive. I know Pad, it, like, you know, I'll, I'll show just a very tame thing because I know Pad does not like horror. No. But how good is that? That's nuts. Yeah, like they do a lot of cool stuff in this book. So you definitely want to make sure you go pick that up at the local comic shops this week. From Marvel End, Savage Avengers number seven, David Pepos, Carlos Magno is doing big things yet again. Probably Marvel's best book out on the block. And they have a, a really good lineup this week. On the DC End, Batman the Joker, the Deadly Duo, number one, Mark Silvestri's book that has the Deadly Duo teaming up. And that's sometimes all you need to leave it at. Uh, he is definitely doing some really cool things here. Uh, I can't highly recommend it enough. And then from Image Comics, too, I'm hearing a lot about this book called Hell to Pay. Mm-hmm. You do know the author, Charles Soule. I am familiar. Yes. Will Sliney is on the artwork for this. And this one is definitely getting a lot of buzz. So I'm seeing a lot of our fellow comic creators are talking about it this week. So you definitely want to go check that out. I'm going to be picking it up at the LCS as soon as we get out of the show. So as we like to say... To close out each and every entertainment edition, make sure to go out, support your local comic shops wherever they're at because they're putting a lot of work. If you need some suggestions, definitely go hit them up. They're doing a lot of great things. That being said, for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. 
That's all for this week. So for the only Padawan J. If you're looking for a movie to watch this week, uh, there is the film that just dropped on Netflix, All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, it's obviously a remake of the book, uh, but it is currently on Rotten Tomatoes sitting with a 92% from the critics and then an audience score of 90%. Yeah, I've been hearing, We're hearing a lot of good things. Yeah, from a lot of a lot of friends of ours here that have been DMing. Like, you guys been checking this out? And I'm like, yeah, you know, kind of dipping a little into that. So definitely a great recommendation. I'm your host, Ken M. Go read more comics. That's my recommendation for the weekend. And Titans is out on HBO Max, so you definitely want to go check that out this weekend. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.